This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. With the weather being hot, with uh, heat indexes, indices, over uh, 100 in most places in Mississippi, we're focusing on indoor sports and recreation today. On today's show, we'll speak with Chris Baker, uh, past president of the Mississippi Racquetball Association. Uh, But first, we've invited onto the show Nika Harvison. She and her husband are in charge of the American Pool Players Association Memphis Division, which includes North Mississippi down to Tunica and Oxford. Uh, good morning, Nika. Thank you for coming on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, what what all goes into uh, being in charge of the Memphis Division of the American Pool Players Association? Well, what it entails, I guess, is like we're responsible for uh, customer service and making sure that we get score sheets out to all of our leagues. Memphis has approximately 200 teams in our the leagues we have wow. 30 divisions and it consists of eight ball open nine ball open which is made up of eight man teams eight man or woman teams and then we have a ladies league and we have a ju- we even have a juniors division that we just recently started for kids age 7 to 17 who get to eventually travel to St. Louis to participate in the junior championships annually and uh, it's just like similar to a bowling league. We have score sheets each night. The leagues play. We play every night of the week except for Saturday, but we're open to Saturday play as well. And so it's for amateur pool players that we just uh, – we're all a big community, and we go out, meet people, play pool, and have fun. And I should have asked initially what what is the purpose and what, what purpose does the American Pool Players Association serve to begin with? Well, it gets, it gets a community together of people who have – common interests such as playing pool and just getting people out for recreation that is inside like you say and um, the ultimate goal at the end of the day when you play on the pool league is to have a good time to have fun to meet new people and then there is a perk of if your team does well you have a chance to make it to las vegas twice a year on an all-expense paid trip hotel and airfare so Mm -hmm. we have over 60 people going in two weeks to las vegas representing the memphis apa between mississippi arkansas and tennessee how about that? So you mentioned earlier eight ball and nine ball and then teams. How does one go about? Because uh, I, I, I'm not a pool player. I tried a handful of times and I'm terrible at it. Maybe it's I'm not good at math or something like that. But um, tell me, how, how do you play teams? Because I'm just thinking about one person shooting at a time. So how do you go about um, assessing teams into those games? Okay. The way we do our team events or our team divisions, we have you can have up to eight people on a team, man or woman. You have to be over 18. And you play five of the eight people. And with the APA, they're all given a, a handicap. And they call it the Equalized Handicap System. And it makes it very fair for if you have a player who's been shooting pool for 20 plus years and they're very very good at it they might be the highest skill level in eight ball as like a seven and then if you have a brand new player a female comes in and she's never even held a stick she would be assigned a two handicap 
And so he would have to win seven games before she would have to win two. And and the way someone would go about on getting one of uh, getting on one of these teams is we have several several or many host locations in you know Memphis and in Mississippi South Haven uh, even far down as Tunica. We have different host locations that let teams come in and play their matches and their league play. You know night once a week or twice a week. We have some players that play four and five times a week. But if if we have an individual who doesn't have a team to get on and they join APA through the uh, poolplayers.com, they can go on there and pay their $25 a year membership. That's what it costs, and that goes to the national headquarters in St. Louis. And then that, when they sign up, it in turn sends me an email and gives me their contact information, and I call them or my husband Bobby calls them. And we do our best, and I mean, we're 100% successful. We'll get somebody on a team because we always have teams looking for brand-new players. They want people who don't know how to play pool. That's the whole joy. That's the joy of the whole thing, you know, because then people get to bond, become friends, and socialize with each other, while at the same time for the beginner, they're having the opportunity to learn to see the more experienced players play, and they get timeouts during a game. And, I mean, you know, while building friendships and then camaraderie and then the team, you know, it's just it, it works out really well, really, really well. And some people come and just bring their whole team say, hey, I have a whole team that wants to join. And so we put them where they want to play out of. How? What, what are the most popular age groups, would you say? Or, or, or are there any specific age groups uh, or among men or among women, however that would work, that are that you see more people joining and it's becoming more and more, more popular, trending in a positive direction? Well, I see, I mean, in our league area, I would say the ages range from probably, the average, probably 25 to 50. Now, we do have a 76-year-old lady that plays, and she is great. I mean, she's a low handicap, but she just brings a lot to the table as far as, she's even a team captain, so she's over an eight-man team. And then we have people who are fresh 18-year-olds that play. Probably the median is probably around 35 to 45-ish, 50-ish somewhere around there and of course we have more males than females and I being a female push I mean every single one of my best friends is a pool player now I have friends who aren't but by the time they hang around me enough they are they become pool players <laughs> because that's what we do so we try to bring everybody in but it's just like a big family so we just now got to the point in with the Memphis APA where we have 10 ladies teams in our women's division mm-hmm. and that's five women on each team so that's 50 women that we have playing right now which we have a few more that you know that'll come and play with their husband but they're just not to the point where they're ready to get out and venture off and be on just a strictly ladies team so but we're working on it and we're trying to build those up we had six teams last year in the women's but now we're up to 10 so we're we're, we're slowly building but yeah. we're getting there uh, that's pretty good uh, going from six to ten it's pretty good growth for one year so right. h- how competitive is the memphis division when you get kind of out of your own region and you go into the the regional or nationals as you talked about okay um memphis is very competitive memphis has some very good players low handicap all the way to high handicap and we have in memphis the last two years the memphis eight ball doubles it's where two people two to three people are on a team but two shoot they alternate shots and Memphis holds the world championship title for the last two years in that. Wow. In that division. So I'd say you are pretty good. Yeah, we've got some good ones here. Now, yes. the, the biggest question is now when when the Memphis champions go to Las Vegas, do you get to go with them? 
Well, you know, this will be the first time my husband and I will be going as league operators instead of APA Memphis, you know, Memphis APA players. Uh-huh. So we are going just to support all the many teams sure. that we have going to Memphis, you know, <laughs> that are representing Memphis. A so, part- you know, it's kind of like we have to be there. Uh-huh, I know, right? A struggle, a perk of the job, I suppose. Yeah, we and, and we actually have four teams going to uh, the Gulf Coast on Thursday. They're going to be participating in a um, Gulf Coast Invitational in Mobile, Alabama. And these teams that are going, three of them are like our second place uh, world qualifier teams who didn't win first to go to Vegas. So we uh, put them in this invitational tournament out of Mobile. So they're going on Thursday to represent Memphis playing out of Mobile, Alabama this weekend. So in a uh, tournament that they have nationally, would you say that that pool is is gaining momentum? Evidently, you guys are doing a, a great job in in the North Mississippi and, and Memphis region, growing the game. Uh, but nationally, would you say it's it's uh, continuing to grow, or how's it how's it been going the last five or ten years or so? Well, I mean, my just me myself being a, you know a member of the APA and being a pool player myself. I mean, I've seen a lot of growth in it because when I first joined the APA, they probably had. 60 to 65 teams, and now Memphis itself, you know, is up to 200. But overall, with the APA, the American Pool Players Association, they have over 250,000 members between the United States, Canada, and Japan. And there's over 300, 300 APA leagues like the Memphis area. And so, I mean, it's definitely growing. It is getting more popular. And in 2010, during one of the pool championships in Las Vegas, Guinness Book of World Records recognized that event as the world's largest pool tournament ever. And it's just getting bigger and bigger each year. Well, how about that? So, so it's it's pretty big. <laughs> is there a rival region for the uh, North Mississippi and Memphis region, or am I reading too much into it? Well, not really. There might be, you know, uh, my husband and I are from Arkansas, and so we're, we're <laughs> we we know the operator who is out of Little Rock, Arkansas, and then we know one out of, you know. Uh, Southwest, southeast Missouri, and so maybe a little bit if they come into our area to play in a tournament. We had some come in this past weekend at a host location. We had a nine-ball singles tournament, and so we had people come in from there. And they, you know, they they didn't. One of the guys from Little Rock actually, I think, won the overall nine-ball singles. And so just kind of maybe a friendly competition, but not anything just too bad, you know. <laughs> sure, absolutely. All right. So before we let you go, if Somebody who's been listening to us talk decided that, you know, maybe they had fun uh, when they were a teen or something like that uh, playing pool and had not really thought about it in a long time. And all of a sudden they want to pick it back up and, and try to go at it again. How would you suggest they, they get back into the game? For them to get back into the game, mm-hmm. uh, if they wanted to get back into the game, I would find a location, you know, not a bar or a pool hall, somewhere that they felt comfortable going. And, you know, that was an area close to where they're from and I mean a lot of these pool halls and bars with pool tables they they're very familiar with the APA in our area and I would just walk in and I mean you can you know let the, the person at the bar or the counter let them know hey you know I'm you know I'm getting back into pool let them know that they're not real familiar with the pool scene and most of these people are great in the south we you know we're super nice people here most of the time <laughs> and so everybody that I've run into honestly even when I wasn't a 
League operator has been more than willing to help or to give assistance or guidance or answer questions, you know, and, and people shouldn't feel uncomfortable when they walk in because everybody started where they're starting at. Everybody's been there. That's a great Nobody point. Nobody came out, you know, playing pool like a champ. So, That's I a mean, great point. If, you know, if anybody wanted to uh, uh, to contact you or to become a member of the APA, how would they do that? They could call us at 901-481-5129, or they could visit on apamemphis.com. And to get more information about that, and our contact information is on there as well, we can be contacted by phone, email, or they can go to poolplayers.com, which is the national uh, website for the national quarters, and um, they can get all the information they need, and they'll, they'll be able to find our contact information on either website. Nika Harbison uh, with the uh, American Pool Players Association Memphis Division. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. All right. When we come back from the break, we'll speak with Chris Baker about racquetball. And we'll also talk a little bit later on the show about bridge. We're just trying to find ways to stay out of the 140,000 degree weather outside. There's quite a few clubs around the area and the state where you can do all of these things we're talking about today. Along with producer Liz Gill, I'm Jay White. This is MPB's Season Pass. We'll be back after this break. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast. We realize you might not be able to listen to a show in its entirety. To go back and listen to a show at your convenience, download or stream our podcast on whatever platform you receive podcasts or our website, mpbonline.org. Subscribe to us while you're there. We've been talking about competitive endeavors that you can enjoy while it's a million degrees outside. And coming up next is Racquetball. Our guest is Chris Baker. Up until a few months ago, the president of the Mississippi Racquetball Association for more than 10 years, and he's still active in the sport. There's a tournament this weekend that he's going to be a part of. Uh, Good morning and welcome to the show, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jay. Absolutely. Doing research on uh, racquetball, Liz, tells me uh, that uh, the sport was invented in the 1950s. Now, I would have thought it was way before that uh, because of the next stat, which is by the 1970s, there were millions and millions of uh, racquetball players what do you think made the sport so popular so fast 
Well, the uh, the sport started. You know, there were before that there was handball and actually paddle rackets, which was played like in a handball court. And when racquetball came around, it's actually 1949. Joe uh, Joe Sobek invented the game and uh, just basically had a paddle and actually cut the paddle out and strung it. And uh, the game, when it started out with these small paddles, it's kind of like playing with a ping pong paddle. It was so easy for a beginner to start the game and enjoy it. And it was, you know, not about power. It was more about shot collection, you know, right around a small 20 by 40 foot court. You know, it's not that much room, so you don't have to, like, run that far. And uh, this was a fun game to learn the angles and stuff. So how popular of a sport is racquetball today? Well, the, the only problem today is a lot of the facilities that were opened up years ago. Uh, the only downfall to racquetball is you have to be a member of a facility or have an indoor court. And, uh, again, uh, it's about 800 or it is 800 square feet, which, you know, 800 square foot in, indoors, air conditioned, you know, taking care of the floors and the walls and everything. It's a, a costly sport to maintain. And uh, so the, the, uh, the problem is a lot of uh, facilities in the area or in Mississippi across the country, rather, have uh, taken in the courts and put in other, you know, like spin classes and that kind of stuff. And uh, so the, the sport has fallen like that. Like a lot of sports, there's just so many things out there for kids, adults, and everybody to do now. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of dropped off a, a good amount, but it's still played uh, recreationally, professionally, and uh, internationally. It's really picked up. Because, again, it started in 1949 in the U.S. It's now a more international sport than it is in the U.S. And that's a good point you make. We hear so many people talk about how this sport's dying and that sport's dying and the ratings on this thing are down, but there's just so much more to do that a sport can still be plenty healthy uh, but but not have maybe the numbers that you saw in an earlier time in our society when there just weren't as many things to do. So tell me about the Mississippi Racquetball Association. Uh, first, before we talk about what your job was as the president and what your objectives were, what is, uh, what's the purpose of the Mississippi Racquetball Association? Uh, Mississippi Racquetball is a um, part of the United States Racquetball Association, and actually, not many people know this, where the, or the Mississippi Racquetball Association is the second oldest organized or organization in USA Racquetball in the, U- in the United States. Uh, Chuck Miner from, um, started the uh, Courthouse Rack and Fitness Clubs, and in Starville, when he was there, they actually created the um, Mississippi Racquetball Association in the 77, beginning of 77. And then when he moved down there, he built the courthouse for the fitness clubs, which had um, eight courts to start and went up to 12 racquetball courts. There were some up in Mississippi State. They were actually outdoor and had chicken wire as the ceiling. So uh, he actually built some of the first modern courts in the state uh, over on Lakeland Drive, Flowood. Like I said, it was a, it was a huge sport, you know, back especially back in the early 80s, mid-80s. And I didn't get into it until early the 90s. People would sit there for hours just waiting to get on the courts. The game, like I said, it was just easy to start out and play. It was a place to be seen, basically. Right, right. So I think a lot of people, when you see um, the ball and the racket, they think maybe tennis. But it's 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 for people who haven't gotten involved in it. It's it's way way different than that. 
Tell me about right. uh, you know maybe the, the the strategy that's involved in the game of racquetball. Well, one reason I mean I love the game. I mean it is a thinking game, and what I mean by that is you always you always have a story. You hear the story from most players, and they're like when they were starting out, they're in shape, they can run all over the place, and then there's this one guy who doesn't look like he can move for a lady, <laughs> and they run you all over the court with their ankles. But a, a racquetball court is twenty by forty, just like a pool table. A pool table is usually four feet by eight feet. So you think about bank shots and pool, and that's the same thing with racquetball. You can sit there and you know you move your opponents where you want them to go. If you're controlling the match, you can move them all over the court and just put them in a bad position. Same thing when they hit a shot. You know, it's not where the ball is headed. You run there. You go to where you think the ball is going to be. And uh, that's what makes it fun. I mean, it's it's fast, but it's also thinking. It's you know, it's you have to you have to really think outside the outside the box, which is funny and thinking about a racquetball court. But you know, you got to <laughs> come up with these crazy shots and angles, and you know, you might run completely opposite with, with where the ball took off because you know it's going to end up in that back corner. And uh, this really makes it fun. And, and I mean, that's that's what drove me in the game. I was I was uh, a tennis player when I was young, and I hit up against the wall all the time because yeah. I didn't have anybody to play with. And man, when I walked in the racquetball court, I was like, this is what I've been doing for years, and uh, just picked it up and just really enjoyed it. Now, is there are there finesse players, so to speak, or or maybe people who use their angles more, while there are some people who use uh, their their power and, and and their ability to smash it more? One of our top players in Mississippi, and I think he's thirteen times or maybe seventeen times state open champ, oh, Bob Jackson, and he will drive you crazy because he can just put the ball up in the corner, even though it's a, a rubber ball that doesn't really take a lot of spin and everything like a tennis ball. He can sit there and dink it up in the corner, and you're running up there and you know trying to get to it and just drives you mad the way he does that. And he can control that ball. So I mean, that's what the game's about. He is one of the masters of. Wow. So let me ask you. I was, I was I was getting to this question, but this is a perfect segue. How competitive? Uh, you mentioned. I mean, number one, a, a 17-time Open champion in our state, and that Mississippi had uh, you know one of the very first, um, uh, I guess, associations uh, created in the country. How competitive nationally, uh, or how recognized nationally is Mississippi on the on the national racquetball scene? Yeah, well, in the past, uh, when Bobby was playing and competing and traveling, and I was competing and traveling, we, we both played pro events, traveled the country playing amateur events, played in the U.S. Open many times. Um, I mean, you know, we, we were trying. We really did, you know, um, we really tried hard to really make a name. But, unfortunately, just like in many other sports, um, California, one club might have four professionals playing at it. Yeah. You know, and they're mm-hmm. competing all the time. And, you know, we would travel. I would actually go down and play. I'd go to Fort Lauderdale and play a guy. You know, I'd go down and stay a week and just, just practice with him. I'd go to uh, New Orleans or Lake Charles, Louisiana with one of their hardest hitters from Louisiana because, you know, just having that kind of practice, you just we couldn't get it all the time. And, again, back to Bobby, I was I was known. I tried to hit the ball hard, and he's a real control player. So, you know, we, you know, we didn't get a lot of practice you know I, I i was great against control players but i didn't have somebody to hit the ball really hard back at me a lot so i needed to go search for that so that's that's been but i mean that's like it is in a lot of sports you know it's we don't we don't have the depth in our state we did compete you know we we held our own that kind of stuff but just never really 
you know, had enough to, to, you know, really master and, you know, control, you know, win big tournaments and stuff like that, you know, but in the region and stuff with, between Mississippi, Louisiana and Alabama, um, you know, we, we did pretty good nationally. When you look at it, Dallas, um, Anaheim, you know, LA and down in Florida, that's where the, the pool of players, New York city, you know, they had, you know, the pool, they had the players that could really come out of the woodwork and sure. just were hard to beat. But, you know, we, we, we tried to hold our own. We had a good time. Uh, who do you find? Uh, what What's the age group that you see most activity in these days? Uh, um, you mentioned it, it's something that's happening in, uh, you know, health clubs and things like that. That's the best access to get to courts. And uh, a bunch of young people are hanging out at those places and are members of those places. So are you still well, seeing some uptick in, in uh, young younger folks active activity and uh, taking up the sport? I mean, that's what's happening. The only people that are really building courts are colleges and universities. Um, Mississippi State, uh, their new facility, you know, it's a few years old now. Uh, USM, uh, the Turner Complex in Oxford, um, Millsaps College, they all have courts. Um, the Baptist Health Flex at uh, Clinton, Mississippi has a couple courts. And so there's a lot of, I mean, it is now, I mean, honestly, it is a recreational sport. In the 90s, the United States Racquetball Association worked hard and spent a lot of money, and that was a, could have been a big mistake. It also worked really hard 80s and 90s to try to make it an Olympic sport. And um, the problem is the um, the Olympic Committee did not, it's not recognized. Again, the, the sport started in the United States in 1949 is when it was like invented. The first rule book wasn't even written until, like the official rule book wasn't um, even written until 1968. And, you know, these other countries, which sports being the Olympics have to be played on so many different continents. It's in many countries, but it's not its not all over the world, you know, like it needed to be to get in the Olympics. So that kind of failed. That movement failed. So it never made it in. A lot of money was spent. So now, like I said, it's more of like a, I'd say, a recreational sport. Uh, University Wellness, which is now, which was the Courthouse Racket Fitness Club on uh, Lakeland Drive. They have four courts. That's where we still host tournaments. And, um, you know, the, a lot of the uh, UMC students go out there and play and stuff. But, again, it's, it's recreational. You know, they, there's not many people that have the, the dreams of trying to make it again, you know, make it pro and stuff. When I when I first started, there were hundreds of people playing at the courthouse. You know, again, we had 11 courts at that time. So, you know, I mean, there was always a game to be found. But now it's more, like I said, it's more recreational. and uh, But it's fun. I mean, you, I mean, it's the courts stay packed. But just trying to make it to a pro level and that kind of stuff or even the top amateur in our state now, it's just that the competition isn't there anymore. It's, again, so many different sports. Courts, courts have been taken in, and you know, like I said, it's a great rec sport though at the college level. Well, if somebody wanted to be involved or get involved in the sport now, how could they go about finding a court or a league yeah. or, or getting in touch with uh, the association? USRA.org. It's USRacquetballAssociation.org. USRA, and um, you can get on there and you can join the associations, that kind of stuff, and find. You know, once you join, you get emails and um, uh, contact about any kind of event in the Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Alabama, Tennessee area. But the uh, main thing is, if you're young and stuff like that, you can get onto a college campus. I mean, there, there is a lot of recreational play there. I just actually played an event and helped run it in Monroe, Louisiana at uh, ULM. Yeah, and um, it was a good little event. Had a lot of, you know, had a lot of players, a lot of college kids playing it. Absolutely. Well, Chris Baker, thank you so much for your time this morning. We appreciate talking to you. Thank you. 
When we come back from this timeout, we'll talk about bridge, sport, not a sport. Well, we'll discuss that. I'm Jay White with producer Liz Gill. This is MPB Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're spending time indoors today with MPB Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill with host Jay White, and we're going to go against some folks' definition of a sport. Let's call this next one a uh, competitive pastime. <laughs> I'd like to welcome to the show Jackson Bridge Association member Jerry Burford. How you doing, Jerry? Good afternoon, Liz. Doing well. Thank you. Well, we're very glad that you're on our show today. When I began researching information about bridge groups in Mississippi, I was really surprised on how many groups there were and for how many scheduled get-togethers an association might plan in a week. Um, uh, Jackson Bridge Association, about how long has it been around? It's been around for a long time. In its current uh, situation, we moved into our clubhouse probably back in the uh, early 1990s, 1993. But Jackson Bridge as a club has been around, uh, in fact, talking to some of our members since uh, possibly the 30s. Oh, wow. In fact, in 1960, Jackson Bridge uh, helped host the North American Bridge Championships here in Jackson at the Prince Edward Hotel. Wow. And I, I bet, uh, you know, we'll probably have some of our listeners who uh, might have uh, remembered around that time. And y- you say you've got your own clubhouse. We do. We're located just off of Lakeland Drive on at 300 Park Circle in Flowood. Do you do a number of the associations uh, in the state? Do you think they have their own uh, domiciles, or do they play out of libraries or churches? Uh, several of them, yeah, play out of uh, just locations. They they have smaller clubs, and so they only need them for for short periods of time. At Jackson Bridge, we're probably one of the most active in the state. We've got games seven days a week, and a couple of days we have uh, two games a day. So. So, uh, but there are clubhouses. There's one down on the Gulf Coast, and um, probably most of the other clubs uh, use churches or buildings where they uh, lease or borrow space. All right. Well, for people who love 
people who love card games, you know, might be intimidated a little bit to learn bridge. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking of myself. <laughs> I love card games, but uh, have always thought bridge was uh, a, a little hard to learn. It didn't have time, but uh, now I'm a, an empty nester and I, I'm kind of raring to go. What are some ways that I could learn how to play bridge? Well, interestingly, Liz, the, uh, our club is going to be sponsoring what we call an Easy Bridge Sessions, and uh, that'll start in September. Uh, in fact, uh, it'll be Fridays starting about 9.30 a.m., running till about 12 noon, starting September the 7th. And that's a good way, introduction, for people who haven't played bridge before or haven't played uh, uh, serious cards before to get involved with bridge. You'll be playing from the very first day you come in. Uh, the first four lessons um, on subsequent Fridays there would be free. And it'll be a nice introduction to the game and to get people kind of enthusiastic about bridge. What about uh, tech? We've got technology now. Uh, do you have many of your your members or do you find new members uh, learn to play uh, online or with phone apps? Well, there are apps. Uh, there's a bridge base online, which allows people to come in and play, and they can actually become um, ACBL members and actually acquire master points, we call them. In, in fact, that's the deal. A lot of my friends and stuff ask me, you know, how much can you win at bridge? And we bridge players enjoy the game, but we win master points and not dollars. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, you 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 mentioned ACBL. What's that? That's the American Contract Bridge League. They're kind of the father organization for all the bridge clubs across the country for the most part here. Um, when we were talking before getting ready for this interview, um, we, men you, we mentioned contract bridge and duplicate bridge. What's the, the difference? Tell me about both of those. Well, duplicate bridge is a contract bridge game. The contract bridge just kind of refers to the fact that during the bidding process for each hand, the uh, opponents are kind of negotiating, if you will, for a particular contract, uh, how many tricks they expect to take and what suit would be Trump in a given hand. In the duplicate bridge game, we, we differ from party bridge, if you will, by the fact that we have a series of boards and everybody in the, in the room would be playing those boards potentially against different opponents, but we have uh, duplicate bridge just kind of passes the hands around and everybody will play them. So you're actually playing against more than just your opponents at a given table. You're playing against the opponents that are playing that hand when they play it at other tables, too. So, so let's say you're in a room of five bridge tables. At, how, how does that work? The first table, someone shuffles the cards, deals them out, and then they look to see what the hands are and then go uh, replicate the, that hand at every other table? Well, interestingly, Liz, at the, the Jackson Bridge Association, we have a, a dealer machine 
which will select the will deal random hands and so the game director in preparation for our games will actually make up a set of anywhere from 18 to 27 boards or hands if you will and so those hands are pre-dealt and given to the players uh, everybody's uh, assigned to a table or will sit down at, it, at their given table and then those boards are going to be passed from table to table and in certain movements only the east-west pairs if you will will move up and down the line and the north-south pairs will be stationary in some of our movements everybody will change tables at each hand or each round if you will and a round might be three or four hands so you'll sit down against a pair of opponents and play three or four boards and then you'll move to the next table and you'll play another three or four boards but everybody in the room will end up having played basically the same 24 boards, 27 boards, whatever the game is. And so you can kind of compare your results. And at the end of the game, because we have the, the dealer machine and the hands are pretty well identified, we actually have a, the dealer machine will also do a hand record, if you will, which will present to the people a computer analysis of what hands can be made, what contracts can be made for a given hand. And it's interesting because for each hand, there are several different results. The bidding process is different based on your opponents and, and you and your partnership's com communication. And the hand, the play of the hand itself can be different. Results can be different for everybody. That it's so fascinating when uh, you hear about technology invading even bridge. <laughs> How popular do you think the sport is in Mississippi right now? You know, looking back over the last 50, 60 years. I tell you what, right now I think we've, we've kind of uh, stabilized here. We, we'd like to grow some with the club, but it has been a, a very interesting game. We have uh, different clubs within our, our district and unit will host uh, sectional tournaments and regional tournaments, and those attract uh, – we've got a big regional tournament coming up in Tunica in September, and that will attract a lot of folks from all over Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, pull in a lot of people to one of the casinos up there uh, where we set up a ACBL sets up a, a group to organize a bridge game. I was telling you that uh, one of the reasons I wanted to maybe learn bridge was because I was going to go on a cruise and they were going to have uh, um, bridge on the cruise. And uh, tell the folks what you were telling me about uh, the travel groups with bridge. Yes, we've actually had a, a gentleman that uh, organizes bridge tours and he had brought a group from um, predominantly from Europe. They were going down a, a Mississippi River cruise and he was stopping at, uh, say, Memphis and Vicksburg and Baton Rouge and New Orleans. They were playing bridge at each location. When they stopped at Vicksburg, he had organized buses to bring the folks over, and we had a, a big game at our club where we were playing with folks from uh, outside the country. Bridge is an international game, played all over, and we had a real good time. It was a good day. We've got several members of our club that have uh, continued to stay in contact with this guy, and and they're planning on attending some of his bridge tours when they go over to Europe. 
what a fun way to to, to travel with the, with your friends. Now, if someone's listening and they haven't played bridge in a while, but maybe would like to find that they have the time to start back up and wanted to join a bridge group somewhere in the state of Mississippi, how would you suggest they go about finding one? Well, there are ways to find one. Uh, you can go to the ACBL website, acbl.org, and there is a find a club feature on their website and so you can pull up the state that you're interested in mississippi in this case and it will identify the clubs that are available in mississippi that will and identify when their games are that type of thing the jackson bridge association we participate in a we have a website with bridgewebs www.bridgewebs.com backslash jackson so we've got a website there that will show our club schedule for the games and again we have games seven days a week a couple of evenings we've got tuesday and thursday evening games that uh, are also available if anybody still you know has a job and has to make a living uh we do have games in the evening that's how i kind of got started with uh, jackson bridge while i was still employed i came out to uh, some of the thursday evening games and then gotten involved and now i'm getting to play on a more regular basis well, fantastic. Jerry Burford with uh, Jackson Bridge Association, thank you for being on our show. Enjoy the opportunity, Liz. Thank you. All right. When we come back from the break, our host, Jay White, is going to talk about what's going on in sports this weekend. You're listening to MPB Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. And as Liz said before the break, uh, we've got a list of things going on that are sportsy for uh, this weekend uh, around the state. Uh, some really, really cool stuff going on. We talked to Bill Blackwell on the program last week. He's the executive director of the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame and Museum. And as uh, you remember, he was talking about this weekend being their big one of the of the year. It is the uh, 2018 induction ceremony. Uh, that's uh, going on uh, Saturday uh, night. Friday, though, tomorrow night, they're having a drawdown of champions. Uh, the party includes appearances from this year's inductees and a chance to win prizes such as cash, autographed memorabilia, and they I mean, it's the Hall of Fame. So they've got 
they've got amazing autographed memorabilia, uh, golf outings, home accessories, and much more. That's five, or excuse me, six thirty uh, on Friday. Saturday, have a meet the inductees, um, an opportunity to 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 meet uh, the living inductees in this year's class. Uh, again, unfortunately, Billy Brewers passed away after. He found out and attended the first uh, meeting, but uh, he's passed away, though he'll be represented uh, heavily, I believe, by uh, players from that Ole Miss era. Uh, but the Meet the Inductees, 1030, uh, 10.30, excuse me, 10 o'clock a.m. to 11.30, uh, Saturday morning at the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame and Museum. And uh, Anna Jackson, uh, longtime Murrah head basketball coach, uh, Hall of Famer. Um, Mike Jones, Mississippi College athletic director and longtime basketball coach. Archie Moore, who was a world champion boxer. Uh, Lafayette Stribling, who was a, a championship basketball coach uh, at the high school level, I believe, in Leake County. I may have that wrong here in Mississippi. And then uh, at Mississippi Valley State, he put them into the NCAA tournament a couple of times uh, and uh, Joe Walker Jr., also who was uh, a track coach at Ole Miss, a championship-level track coach. So that's uh, 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Saturday, and then the uh, the induction banquet proper is 5.30 p.m. that night. Um, and uh, it's a ticketed reception at 5.30 and an honors program at 7. So that's all going on this weekend at the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Saturday also uh, at the Ocean Springs Yacht Club, the 7th Annual Pink Paddle Race is going Going on and anything that paddles charity race benefiting Pink Heart funds. There's going to be a party and live music following. Uh, do the race alone or in tandem, and there's several categories you can enter. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. again at the Ocean Springs Yacht Club in Jackson County. And uh, Liz, you said that um, the Pink Heart fund is a really cool deal, right? It is. Uh, when my daughter had uh, uh, waist length hair, we uh, had it, we investigated because there are other more well-known charities mm -hmm. that are more exclusive on who they benefit. And I believe the Pink Heart Funds, it's a local uh, organization in the Ocean Springs area, and they take donated hair to uh, make wigs and hair pieces for a variety of individuals with different kinds of medical conditions, but it's a it's a keep it local kind of thing. Absolutely, that's very very cool. We've had some folks here uh, at uh, MPB uh, also uh, donate their hair to that, so that's very very cool. Yoga in the park is going on Sunday afternoon or early evening at Trustmark your, Park. Your chance to get it in the outfield at Trustmark Park. There you go. What a cool place to do it. Yoga in the park at Trustmark Park in Pearl, the home of the Mississippi Braves. Uh, that's uh, Sunday at 5 p.m. Tara Blumenthal of Tara Yoga, who has been a guest on um, multiple um, instances or, I guess, uh, versions of Southern Remedy many times over, uh, leads a one-hour yoga session on the field following the Mississippi Braves game against the Birmingham Barons. Each ticket includes the yoga class, a field-level seat, and Braves swag. How about that? I don't know what is defined as swag, but sounds cool. And it's for well, ages 14 and up. I don't know. Let's, let's imagine. It could be a hat. could be a yoga mat. Do the bra <laughs> Are there officially licensed Mississippi Braves yoga mats, I wonder? I don't know. If, if there aren't, they're missing out. Maybe they, they have something that they're going to include for it, just specifically for yoga in the park 
going on Sunday. Um, Saturday, uh, flipping back and forth here, obviously, uh, Basics of Fly Fishing, Gulf Coast Research Laboratory, uh, Marine Education Center in Ocean Springs, going back to Jackson County. The historic Ocean Springs Saltwater Fly Fishing Club is offering a three-hour seminar, learn how to gear up for fly fishing, how to choose the perfect fly rod, which flies are the most productive, and how to cast a rod and fly. See, here's another season pass idea. I didn't even know there was saltwater fly fishing. I just always think of a river runs through it and going to, uh, <laughs> what is it, Montana. Yeah. Yeah I, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But it's amazing. what Mississippi is so cool uh, geographically where it sits because there's so many different things that you can do uh, from, you know, a bunch of different aquatic stuff on the coast to um, hiking or, in the Appalachians up in uh, uh, Tishami- by Tishomingo. Yeah. Foothills up in the north northeast corner of the state. Of course, the Delta. Uh, there's tons of stuff you can do all over the place. That's going on Saturday. Um, it's 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. again at the Gulf Coast Research Laboratory Marine Education Center in Ocean Springs. For more information, 228-818-8095. That's 228-818-8095. And we'll have all this information on the page for this episode of MPB Season Pass, which you can find at mpbonline.org slash season pass. There you go. Um, Pro Wrestling Ego is putting on Fight Night 4. This is a family-friendly pro wrestling event, uh, just so you know. That's going on Saturday. Get those kids started young. That's right. It is is a fun experience, and they do intentionally build their brand so that it is a a full family event. And they have good good crowds come in. They uh, are at uh, a place called The Hideaway, which is in DeVille Plaza in Jackson. It's uh, the former DeVille Cinema theater. Um, oh, you're going back more than 20 years, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, that's, that's in the place it's in, so, it, you know, it's 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 a decent space there, and it's uh, a good part of town right there, so Pro Wrestling Ego Fight Night 4, including uh, some pretty good uh, guys. Ray Fury is, is one of their stars, and so... Um, uh, he's fun to watch, and again, it's it's really good fun because it's not like where you go see one of the major wrestling companies and you're in a huge arena, and depending on how much you want to spend on a ticket, you can be ten miles away from the action. I mean, you're right up on top of things, and uh, it's it's very it's a lot of fun. Do, so, do uh, they ever bring anybody in from the audience, or if they did, would they be a plant? Mm, yes, Ooh. I think. Uh, I, well, I don't know. There's probably some insurance <laughs> concerns to do with that. I also encourage you to go to the MHSAA's website, Mississippi High School Activities Association. That's the governing uh, body of uh, the Mississippi Public High School Sports and Activities um, stuff going on. The It's M-I-S-S-H-S-A-A.com. So MissHSAA.com. Otherwise, you get Michigan. That's right. You've been there. Uh, I've been there as well. Uh, the the top story right now is something we don't have time to get into right now, but the MHSAA is, one, is part of a pilot program by the NFHS, the National uh, Federation of State High School Associations, and uh, a, a group called Play Versus. The MHSAA is um, adding eSports, so video games, basically, oh to my. its roster of, of sports and activities. 
and they look at it and it's explained as a way to get folks who may not be think they're athletic or outgoing or don't play sports um Sport, not in, a sport. <laughs> into activities. And I think that it's it's very, very cool. And, boy, the national championships, they draw a huge number. And the, the pros get paid a ton. It's it's a really big deal. It's a growing uh, sport or activity, whatever you want to call it. But the MHSAA is going to be one of 20 states to launch this pilot program. So thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy Kids and Teens with Dr. Morgan McLeod is coming up next right here on Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.